Hey, y'all. You're listening to Diagnosing Sitcoms and Movies, the DSM podcast. We help make mental health more comfortable by using Black movies and shows we know and love and culture to remove stigma. So join our convo with your hosts, Courtney Copeland, licensed mental health counselor. And Dr. B, licensed professional counselor. All right, y'all. So this episode, we are talking about the 1990 film classic of House Party. And so we're talking about the original one. So House Party 1. And this film had a really star-studded cast. So, of course, there is Kid and Play, who were the main characters in the movie. But we also have the comedy legends of Robin Harris, Martin Lawrence, and John Witherspoon all in this one movie. Tisha Campbell, A.J. Johnson, and the super producer group, I do not feel like they get the credit that they deserve, uh, full force, they played the bullies in the film. Even though they were really, really grown already by the time this film was made, they were supposed to be in high school, but we'll get to that later. Just just jump into it. What were your favorite quotables from the show? From not the show, the movie, sorry. (laughs) Um, And we'll kick your fucking ass. That's my favorite part. <laughs> Pee-wee. Always talking about kicking ass. <laughs> Put in there kicking some fucking ass. Not burning it up. <laughs> kick your fucking ass. And we'll kick your fucking ass. Like, I just, um, I can't tell you how many times you said that already within the first 30 minutes of the movie. So... <laughs> That is one of my quotables. And I smell pussy. (laughs) I'm sorry. But anyway, um, you know, I think that we should also let our let our people know that we are being sponsored by Dick Gregory. Uh, Dick Gregory is a drink. Cooking with Mother Nature. Figured individuals. <laughs> Just so you know that this, this video is being sponsored by Dick Gregory. Thank you so much, Dick Gregory, for what you've done for the Black community. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course, you know, Pops, when he, when he talked about Dick Gregory, he's like, I got a weight problem. Can't wait to eat. Now that. <laughs> Pops is my favorite character in the whole movie. It followed it, followed it, followed it. That's hilarious to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They I had no problem finding. <laughs> and when he hit when he hit me with that, um, damn, we was just talking about him when he did down in the jungle deep, a lion stepped on a monkey feet. And when he hit me with that line, I said, Okay, yes, he yeah, he got me. I love From him. From a small town called Fresh Off a Cop Ass, and you making me homesick. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, what's another one? Uh, oh, yeah. When he said, when the dude at the, at the Sididi party was mm-hmm. doing the DJing and he hit old dude over the head with the record. You know he, that was um, George Clinton, right? You just put, uh, wow. Wow. I didn't even realize that. Wow. Thank you. I just learned something new today. Thank you. He said, yeah, I did it. Cry two tears in the bucket. Fuck it. <laughs> but wait, when he flipped his hair after he said it, though, to emphasize. Exactly. Cry two tears in the bucket. Fuck it. Let's do this shit. <laughs> so um, that's another one that I, um, that I like. And let me tell you, when Luther Hill hit that um, scooby-dee-dee-doo as he was a uh, kid was skipping, out of the house. Let me tell, like, it's right on point. He says, skidoo deep, and kid literally, like, skidoo deep, do down the stairs to this fucking party. <laughs> Let me, you gotta watch it, catch it again, get into it, cause that little, that little kick up, <laughs> he was ready. He was ready. Anyway, um, and then oh, my last, oh, that's your last one. Go ahead. Sorry. Last one, I was, uh, was, when it comes to my dick action, all I can think about is the pussy. Now, the only reason why I bring this up is because <laughs> the three of them was in the car talking mad shit. And um, the main one, what is his name? The one with the... So Stab, Stab is the main one, and then it's Zilla and Pee Wee. So Stab is driving, and, you know, they talk about that punk motherfucker named Ken. Like, you know, they, they don't rock with him. But... <laughs> 
stab to get to a whole nother level. Stab needed to say pause. (laughs) So I do think that's something that I want to talk about later if we could make the connection, of course, with homophobic language or, you know, that type of humor within Black culture and within our Black film. I want to talk about that later. So that's all I got. I fully plan on it because Stab Stab is an interesting character to me. <laughs> right? You okay? All right. Okay, so but my last one. Yes, my last ahead. one is bitch. Who you calling a bitch? Your bitch. mama's a sorry bitch. <laughs> yes, she was not trying to walk. Okay, and she won that one. <laughs> she said, "I fight, girl." She said, "I know. I seen you lose to a couple of them." <laughs> Martin. I can't believe him. I'm sorry. I'm going to call him Martin in this, in this movie. That's definitely not his name. But <laughs> he, he watched, uh, what's his name? Uh, kid get beat up. Talk about we had your back the whole time. No, yeah, way you back. did not. <laughs> way in the back. Sitting at the lunch table to over there watching. Sick of it. Anywho. So overall, did you enjoy watching the movie again? I did because as a kid, I didn't understand what was really happening. Like even, even, even the, the, God, dynamite. Is it, is it dynamite? Oh my God. Dolomite. Dolomite. Jeez, I'm peas. What may I talk about? (laughs) Dolomite. Dolomite. They have a dolomite, don't they? I'm not making that up. Okay, no, so it's that there was the original movie that came out in the seventies, and then you know Eddie Murphy just did the Dolomite is my name, right? Okay, all right. So anyway, I didn't realize what he was saying until I watched that recently. Until I watched Eddie Murphy's uh, Down in the Jungle Deep, and so um, that to me, as that as an adult, was interesting. Watching his dad enjoy this particular. Um, culture that that kind of got grew that we grew out of, but that was where hip hop almost originated at the same time. So I think that from that lens, I enjoyed it because now I, I appreciate the the cultural little nuances that are happening. So and just as it. like comedy goes, Robin Harris being such a legend and mm-hmm. him being so. Uh, in my mind, underrated. And him even paying homage to another creative, another great comic who, again, was underrated. And I just, I I thought it was a beautiful moment for Black comedy. (laughs) I I enjoyed it. I appreciate you bringing this one up. I I think it. Overall, I just love the movie because I know Kid and Play gets, especially back in the time, they get a lot of flack for being the happy, feel-good rappers. But this movie is just so, I like seeing them have fun and seeing people smiling and dancing and having a good time. And low-key, should this count as a musical? All this singing and rapping and dancing they was doing? Shibble-do-dee-do. Let me tell you, that looks (laughs) well all right. Yes, it certainly can. <laughs> I feel like it should count as <laughs> like how Carmen was a hip hopper. I feel like this should be uh, <laughs> hip hop <Perhaps>. Broadway. <laughs> Let's do it. And I'm gonna learn that number that they did in that living room. That eight count, okay? It, it, like we said, like I think they were practicing this after school and on the weekends. I'm pretty they sure had- because. There was no way, like, play jumped right in when the other dude fell out. How do you know, if that's they dance, how you know the number? Exactly, exactly. And so, and then the one that passed out because he was drunk. Let's talk about these grown men that are at this party. Um, let's put a pin right there. It's <laughs> problematic, but they addressed uh, teenage drinking because they were all supposed to be teenagers. And right. I was proud of them because they made, his name was Groove. They made Groove look lame for drinking underage. And so I was very proud right. of that. Sometimes they try to make underage drinking look cool. Right. And he bust into that spin and he was, he was done. So, I mean, but he even knew the eight count as mm-hmm. well. So I also need to figure it out. It's cool. I'll, I'll get the eight count together. But anyway, um, they did that. And it reminded me of doing... TLC dance routines and Aaliyah dance routines with some of my friends in the hood and even my cousins. Like we was, that's what we did for fun. We was dancing and doing cheerlead, cheerleading shit. I mean stuff. I'm a doctor and we act right. Doing those cheerleading 
chants and steps. Why do you turn British when you <laughs> emphasize that you're a doctor? Where does that come from? Because I'm sophisticated. When I, when I introduce myself as Dr. Britton. Okay. I can't, I can't even take myself serious. Anyway, my mouth is dry. <laughs> Um, I think that eight count, it was just like, it just reminded me of like how you would dance with your cousins and, and, and practice that. Like you were doing a talent, talent show and no one cared. <laughs> uh, no, no one watched, no one cared, but you practiced like someone was going to see it one day. Like there's a hawk in the sky. Like I, like I, you with my prey. Like we had the whole Okay, I do know I do know the dance. I can't even front and sit here and act like you were the only one that did that. Exactly. So there we are. And Back that's to the film. <laughs> so they start off, we kind of open up with um kids dream, which is something that then becomes a theme throughout the the house party series is his dreams kind of opening up the movie for us. Um and I would like to say, take a second to appreciate how of a hard working single father. Mm. That pops was that man worked a full overnight shift, came mm-hmm. and made that boy a whole gourmet dinner, and he tried and breakfast. Just going, I mean breakfast. You right? He made a whole mm-hmm. breakfast, and kid just going to try to act like he's going to take a piece of toast. You better eat that man's food. You got him cooking for you after he okay. worked a whole shift, and he making sure you start your day off right with the most important meal of the day. See, Mm-mm. me as a parent, I would be like, well, if you gonna do me like that. Did your cereal tomorrow? Pops was was a cool parent. Kid was, he was ungrateful. (laughs) He was was spoiled. He did not appreciate that strong father that he had left. (laughs) Mm -mm. He was a good dad. You're right. Mm -hmm. He was very lenient. He was fair. You whole got into a fight at school and you just had to stay in your room. Mm. Couldn't even do that. Right. Just ungrateful, just kids, just disrespectful. That's why I ain't got none. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so then we um, kind of see them at school in their day-to-day because they are supposed to be teenagers, even though I think everybody in this movie was good and grown when they <laughs> Definitely. recorded it. Definitely. They were supposed to be teenagers. Um, this was a very, I, this whole movie, I was just thinking like this unsupervised, Lunch is the why is there only one teacher on cafeteria duty? Um, where is their school counselor? It, I just had so many questions. That's how I went to school. We didn't have a bunch of people on cafeteria duty. Girl, I work in a school. Cafeteria duty is 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 a thing. You can't just leave the kids in there unattended. That's no. Like this happened. I mean, <laughs> they were they were being monitored by one teacher. Granted, they teacher looked like a professional wrestler. Um, he came in real swole. I thought but that there was, was only teacher. I love that he was a black man, though. When I was in school in Florida, we had we had a man that we called Mr. T. I don't even know if that was his real name, but he looked just like him. We was in middle school, Millennium Middle School, and there was another guy who looked—I don't know—he was slender. They were our security and they had us on lunch duty. We knew not to fuck with Mr. T. And our administrative people were in there. So that the administration took care of lunch duty, which meant when you had silent lunch, act like you want to giggle if you want to. Okay. Clearly kid and play wasn't going to your school. But it was, uh, so I felt like the whole movie, now I could be wrong, I felt like Zilla, Stab, and Pee Wee, the brothers, they was just misunderstood. They was a product of their environment. They were pawns in the school to prison pipeline. It was just, where was their school counselor? (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's a good point. It started the fight. So if if we ribbon back and forth and I say, uh, what's, what's wrong? Your mama came for the iron. I'm going to put her on a stroll. If if I rib on you, if we go mm-hmm. back and forth, I'm your bully. And I say something like that. A normal child would just say something equally disrespectful about my mama. 
But because mm-hmm. I feel like Kid is suffering from bereavement, and he still has not come to terms with the loss of his mother, mm-hmm. he took it to the next step. So really, in my mind, the fight is Kid's fault. Because words is words. You was the first one to do an action. You tried to hit me with Jello. Yes, I'm going to swing on you. And Kid threw the first punch. Mm, that's true. That is very true. I mean, his principal even called it out. He, she was like, you can't keep walking right here like you got a chip on your shoulder, you know? And so you, if you act like that and you're going to start something, you got to deal with the consequences. I mean, that's real. I agree. And the fact that she thought that a hoe was a garden. Well, I mean, a hoe is a garden tool. But she right. Said- <laughs> and they both looked at a garden tool. <laughs> like, it took me a minute <laughs> <laughs> I did this garden so and then I was like, oh, oh, that was cute. That was a cute Again, little joke. It's, the, it's what's wrong with our schools today. We have these out of touch older women, not of the culture of representing their students and not understanding exactly what's going on. And you talk about a garden too. When this man, this boy, rephrase that, this boy, don't call it this whole other boy's dead mama a prostitute. But after they met with the um, with the principal, I felt like, okay, so Stab should be going to go talk with the counselor now. Because mm-hmm. if this is an incident where he is, it's not just a singular incident and he's chronically in the uh, principal's office and he's chronically getting in trouble and it's always an issue. She said, I'm tired of seeing you. And um, why isn't he talking to the counselor? Why isn't that being addressed? Why aren't they in school half days and doing a trade program the other half of the day? I felt like all of this could have been avoided had (laughs) they had a quality school counselor now i know i might be biased as a former school counselor myself Mm -hmm. but they should they should have had a small group that they was in during this time something should have been being done with them to be proactive with these young men to save their lives but no and alas there was a fight well i mean this was in the in the 80s right Mm -hmm. and so it's like when did school counselors really get that reputation of of even being able to handle behavioral issues? I feel like school counselors probably have gotten more of the, you know, calf duty, hall duties, you know, uh, standardized testing, making sure students are okay and I guess not being abused, you know? And so is that any different now from what it was back then has has school counseling changed yes and so there's been lots of advocating within the field because of issues like this there were um so many school counselors whose time was being used ineffectively doing uh different duties within the building and standardized testing and things like that uh school counselors are some of the most educated people that you have in your building because you cannot become a school counselor without at least a master's degree. While a teacher, you can be with just a bachelor's. Mm-hmm. And so if you have these educated individuals who are in your building, why are you not using them more effectively? And so I know within the state of North Carolina, I can only speak for it because I only know their laws. It mm-hmm. is against, there is legislation against them being the standardized testing coordinator. So that frees up their time. Mm-hmm. Um, administration should be justifying why they are assigned to certain duties. Like it would make sense for them to maybe do like a morning duty so that mm-hmm. they can see kids as they're coming in, check on, you know, the, some of those frequent flyers, make sure that they are setting off to have a positive day or see wow. if you notice that a student comes in looking a certain way, or if you notice any bruises, changes, differences, dirty clothes, things like that, then you can be, you know, effective, but it had to, it, will, it did take a long time for people to kind of lose that stigma of just seeing guidance counselors. Uh, right. We don't use that word anymore. That's a bad word. So don't call your school counselor a guidance counselor. We don't like it. Um, but just seeing them <laughs> as somebody that you go to to help you figure out what you want to do after high school or just give you career advice. There is, there is a plethora of indirect and direct services that school counselors offer now. And... Even back then, they still should have been doing more than what was being done, especially for Stabzilla and Pee Wee. Because not only, like, yes, everyone is grown in the movie, but they look extra grown. And so (laughs) it might even be referenced that they're older than everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so if they are, if you do have students that have been in your building longer than the average student, then you should be being proactive. They should have been on some type of... um, work program so that they are gaining experience as well as all of this because your goal is to help them be successful 
past just high school, not just get them out of your building. And so, again, where was the school counselor? I know. (laughs) Said all that to say that. (laughs) And so, um, I just thought, I thought that it was interesting that there were so many people that lived in Shireen's house. Yeah. And it was, um, it was a typical, no, no offense. It's like one of those hood apartments or those hood, uh, condo, like that. Oh, no, it was the full on projects. They call it, they the say projects, project. right. In the projects. I remember that. And seeing so many, I, I was in a, in a home like that in foster care where it was like three kids to a room. You had three girls in one room, three boys in the other room and you had bump beds and you figured it out. Everybody had a place to sleep at night and that's all that mattered, you know. But yeah, I thought it was interesting um, how many people were in there as well. It was a lot of folks. It was the little boy who was making the Kool-Aid. Pinky mm-hmm. Clifton Powell was her cousin that answered the door. You had yeah. the big dude, the grandma on the, on, laying on, on the, the couch. couch. <laughs> people sitting on the floor. It was just a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it, it's like, that's the that's the norm in some in some situations in some cases it's like and so with that being said there are kids that that even at home especially as school counselor i'm sure that you can um relate to this where it's like you can get them ahead in certain things as far as social emotional learning and things of that nature but Who's there to make sure that it's actually put into practice and and being at home that's where you put those skills that you're teaching at school into practice. But when you have an environment like that, how do you manage that, right? And so are you, are you the oldest kid out of all those kids in that apartment that is responsible for getting them ready for school and getting them prepared for bed and taking care of them for dinner? So what time does a teenager have to actually you know, do homework or take care of their own personal schoolwork. So they get back to school. They're looking at their, the teachers and the school counselor are looking at them as like, you're not hardworking, you don't care. And the cycle continues. So what are, what are your thoughts about that? I think uh, in just my experience, all of that could be solved just with a conversation. Right. Um, just talking to your students, knowing what is going on with them, talking to the families and letting them know like, uh, there's certain things that are coming up that are important for them. They might need this time to, you know, do, can you help them out with getting this done? Um, And then if you build the relationship where you can talk to your parents even more comfortably, then can you help this get this done and say, well, they can't watch kids this week because they got to do this. And this is Mm -hmm. real important. Um, That's, that's easily fixable. If you are, you know, worth your salt in any, um, counseling position. But that wasn't necessarily my concern at all for Shireen because uh, just because there was a lot of people in the house, they still were very familial. They were all, you know, doing activities together. They was all watching TV together and spending that Mm -hmm. time. She asked Peanut to go make her some Kool-Aid and it wasn't a big thing. He just went off and made it. So like Mm -hmm. everybody was working together as a unit. So that didn't seem at all to be a problem. It just was a whole bunch of people in that little (laughs) house. (laughs) But then, you know, House Party was that good feeling, happy movie. So the depiction of a a Black family looking like that and working together is like, wow, that's actually not so bad in comparison to what reality is for most Black families, though. I mean... I think it really just depends. It varies family to family. Family family to family, yeah. class isn't a determination for family value um, at all. And I think, too, I think that it was real funny, the actresses that they had playing Shireen in Sydney, because Mm -hmm. um, Shireen lived in the projects and uh, Sydney was, you know, had a very nice, real big house. And in real life, Tisha Campbell is from the projects in Jersey, she said, and... uh, AJ Johnson, who played Shireen, was mm-hmm. actually completely the opposite. She was like, I'm having oh. to keep tapping in to, you know, learn how to play these roles because this is not my experience. So I thought that it was funny that them two played those two roles and their upbringing was kind of flipped. Mm. So even more um, acting and more skill had to be applied because it wasn't something that they're familiar with. It's, 
you know, so that makes it even that I think that gives them even more kudos for their acting ability to be able to do that. I just think, um, yeah, I could definitely agree with that. And then also, too, that wasn't really the main focus of what it was like. The, to me, this movie was uh, more heavily focused on the one good time that kids have. Mm-hmm. Um, they're focused on staying out of trouble. <laughs> mm-hmm. And how all your friends in high school are really trash. <laughs> and how oh. you don't realize it till you get older. Right. Did you go to house parties? Did you go to house parties in college? Not, I mean, in high school? I was not allowed. <laughs> right. So this wasn't a real thing for me until I can only relate to it as far as like being in college, but nobody was on my back about, you know, curfew or not being able to go to a party. So for me, I try to like relate as much as I can. And I'm like, that definitely was not me in high school. So like when I was young, young, um, mm-hmm. I saw like a lot of my older family members, they might've had house parties. And so I've seen them. I've been there when I wasn't supposed to be there because <laughs> I might've been younger. Um, and so I've seen it that way. And then um, in high school, not so much. And I went to a high school where we were gen- we were uh, changing the neighborhood. We were the first couple years mm. of uh, a lot of Black uh, families moving into our neighborhood. I think you were saying was, gentrification. But it's the backwards. It would be the opposite, wouldn't it? De-gentrification. <laughs> yeah, see, so that's why I just tried to leave that alone. How dare you bring that up and embarrass me? <laughs> I, I heard it, and I was like, so are you saying that that was gentrification? No, I'm trying, I tried not to say that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just wanted to have clarification here. <laughs> And so um, we didn't have a whole lot of house parties. And then even if we did, I probably wouldn't have been able to go. I'd have had to sneak right. out like kid did. I'd have been the ungrateful kid trying to sneak and go to the party. Right. Um, and then, you know, once we got to college, yes, they were commonplace. So in high school, the house party part of it, probably not so much. But like there were like team parties and stuff that we could go to. So mm-hmm. I was definitely at those and I was definitely dancing just as hard. And <laughs> as um, Shireen and Sydney were, because everybody this is so hard. I love it. I was like, see, I was born in the wrong generation. I needed to be around in the 90s where people were still dancing. Like even the boys were really dancing. They were. And they had, and you put your hand on your hip and you just... It was okay back then. You put your hand on your hip now, you look like an old lady. You can't, you can't put your hand on your hip and, and twerk. Like, no one does that. But doing the butt, you put your hand on your hip, you was really doing the butt. You had the emphasis when you put the hand back there on that ass and was like, doing the butt. Is that how the song goes? It is. I, I usually say doing it in the butt. <laughs> That's how the song goes. Do it the butt. <laughs> but anyway, I did enjoy seeing Tisha Campbell um, and uh, AJ Johnson or Shireen getting it on, getting it in, showing them boys how it's done. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was an epic dance scene. That's, honestly, I feel like that's what's inspired uh, Stomp the Yard. That's my theory and I'm sticking to it. Thanks. Yeah, I don't see at all how that's related. So, I, I did it. I, I thought it was like uh, interesting that kid went through all of that just to get to the party. But then once he got to the party, nothing else mattered. He was high-fiving people. Like, bro, you just got stopped by the police because of over-policing right. in neighborhoods and unjust treatment by police officers. Got chased by some bullies. Did no all biggie. Of that. <laughs> no biggie. I do this all day. That's what kids said. This is my every day. Yeah, I just got a chance to see it today. <laughs> just got to the party. It was like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> Big ups to all my haters. That's how he walked in there. Shawty loves style. <laughs> <laughs> but I did think that it was interesting. And I think it speaks to just um, Black experience, unfortunately. And right? our, speaking to the mistrust for police officers in our neighborhood. Um, when the police came the, to the party, then when they mm-hmm. were at the um, gala or whatever, the mm-hmm. older people were like, no, we don't want to press charges. They need discipline. They don't need solitary exactly. confinement. Like, what are y'all doing? This is, huh, this is a waste of time. And yeah. the police officer whole had his gun drawn, pointing it at them. 
while they were on their knees, not a threat, mm-hmm. hands behind their head, mm-hmm. complying, and he still had his gun drawn. Yeah. I said, it's a damn shame. It's always been there. We've always known this is the case. I think right now, where where our society is, where our political climate is right now, um, I think that white people are finally catching up and realizing, wow, that's wrong. But we've been... Did they think we was lying all of this time? Like, I don't understand you. (laughs) They must have, because it was just like, I told you, this is what we go through. And (laughs) y'all just thought we was playing? Like, come on now, y'all stupid for that. So, um, but I was kind of, I was just looking here. I'm trying to figure out, was this, was this filmed in LA? Because then that also adds another layer mm-hmm. to that police interaction in the community. Because I do feel like LA for a while, especially in the late eighties, early nineties, you know, Rodney King, all of that was happening. So I wonder if this is, it kind of gives me LA vibes if I'm being honest. The right. the the look of it definitely looks like L.A. Both yeah. kid and play are from New York. Right. The movie definitely looks like it was shot in L.A. The houses look L.A. The weather. <laughs> okay, let me let me do a Google's right quick as we as we do this because I'm really interested because I think location also adds uh, a dynamic layer and and why uh, the writer included or even the writer being or like the producers or whomever being from LA, why that was such an, uh, an important piece to include, right? Like, was it even necessary or is it because they wanted to have that black kid experience in this neighborhood? This is what they go through. So not only are you being bullied, you're dealing with home stuff and then you're dealing with street stuff, you know? And I think that's the multi-layer that a lot of our kids are having to deal with coming into schools. And because when he was stopped, he really wasn't doing anything. He was just walking down the street. When they first interacted with him, he was just walking down the street. And again, speaking to the school to prison pipeline, uh, the police continuously follow Stabzilla and Pee Wee all night long. That's how they were able to catch them doing everything. Because if you are constantly watching somebody, then you're going to be there the one time that they do mess up. And so I think that that definitely uh, contributed to them being so angry and aggressive towards kid because the one time he even said after getting beat up by them police I can't wait to whoop somebody's ass yeah because you <laughs> got beat up and you can't beat up the person that did it to you because they're the police but here's what kid says when he walks into the into the house party he says how much more trouble um how much more trouble can a beat a beat down is a beat down how much more trouble can I get into because a beat down is a beat down like he knew that he got in trouble because he got into that fight, right? So it's just like, how much more can I get into? How much more trouble can I get into if I'm at this party? But it was like, bro, you just got into so much more trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and yet to him, the beat down is still going to be a beat down. Like, <laughs> you don't get it. <laughs> Jeez, man. I wish, I wish they could. Um so I, I pulled up something that actually is a New York Times um, uh, article dated for 1990. And it says House Party was filmed in a studio and location in Los Angeles, but it looks to be taking place in a community as all American as a small Midwestern city that is located of, of Booth Parkinson's Pedrod, okay, Penrod stories. I don't know what the hell that is. I said it all wrong, but it looks like it's supposed to have taken place in uh, Well, they said design did a terrible job because it looked like LA. (laughs) Definitely does. And it's so funny that we was like, yeah, that's definitely LA. But yeah. And I think think to me at that time, especially because of the drug epidemic or the crime or or the war on drugs, that was like a pivotal time. And uh, and oh, again, you mean the time when the, gov- the U.S. government uh, planted drugs into our community to criminalize us, get us addicted, and have reason to continue to objectify us and use all of the profit that they made to help uh, their political standing in as a world power? You mean that? Oh, yeah. Okay. That part. Right. And so here we are talking about this film that, I mean, clearly we, we want to see the good that's happening but despite that, despite the classism, they're still black. 
period. Yep. And again, I think that might be why I appreciate the movie so much because I'm looking at it in context yeah. um, of everything that's going on. But when they're in that party, they're having so much fun. Listen, nothing matters. And that, I, I know that feeling being it in uh, what's what's that Jim Jam? Girl. <laughs> tell me about nothing. I didn't care. I had a test the next morning. Nothing even mattered at all. Lauren Hill. I really liked being able to see, speaking of them dancing and dancing hard, um, being able to see Chill because it's him dancing and up and him being the one to bump the table because I don't know if you know, but the actor who um, who plays Chill, I think Daryl, yeah, Daryl Mitchell is his name. He was in a uh, real bad motorcycle accident. And so he is in a wheelchair now. He's continued to act and have roles since since then. But I try to always remember him in this role when he was able to dance and he was getting it and he was moving. So it was good to see him, a younger version of him, still shaking the leg on the good foot, having a good time. You know what? When I saw Chill, I couldn't help but think he reminded me of Old Town Road. What's that boy that sang? Lil Nas Nas X? They look, they look similar to me. I, I was like, is that little Nas X? <laughs> and, oh, it. it's not. Because uh, he had the hat on. Didn't he? He had a hat on. Right. And so I was like, there's little Nas X. That's where he got his swaggy from. That's my theory. I'm sticking to it. Next. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, whatever. You don't agree. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't see it at all. <laughs> The stop. But, um, something uh, that I should have mentioned during the quotables is when Chill and Groove is talking. He's like, man, you ain't got no game. He says, she don't know that. I'm getting those digits. <laughs> <laughs> she don't know that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you better have confidence. She don't know. Shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so just I appreciate um, all of that. I am concerned, again, as a school counselor, we're talking about behavior and context. Why did Bilal have so many hygiene issues? So not only did his breast stink, but when Kid was on the phone talking to him, it mm. was like, um, I gotta, I, I can't come to the set stinking. I still gotta take a shower. He, he said, was put like, on some root. And <laughs> come on. No, nasty. <laughs> There's always that kid. There's always that, that kid. That school counselor. <laughs> Let me tell you, that's why Axe is probably banned at most schools. Most middle schools are not allowing Axe. <laughs> Y'all overdo it. Remember Curve? That's all we could smell in the hallways in middle school was Curve. I'm sick of it to this day. So where are we? Are, are, who are we going to diagnose and who are we going to do our prognosis with? Um, so I definitely feel like there were several characters that we could uh, speak about. So okay. the main characters, we can look at Kid. Um, he was definitely having some struggles and being yes. the, the main focus, really, of the movie. Um, what, did, what were your thoughts? What did you think about for Kid? Um, seems as if mom may have ha- had uh, passed recently from the, from the vibe that I'm getting, from how, the, how he's interacting with his father, how his father still in this mindset of creating a large meal, thinking I'm creating this large meal for my family is now having to realize he's only cooking for himself and his son. Um, And so to me, that makes me think acute stress disorder might be appropriate in this situation um, because more specifically of the timing um, with losing or the loss of his mother and not maybe dealing with that. But that's all I got right now for kids. You see, I was concerned about him because they said that it had been a while ago. He said, don't you think this oh. is long enough? And when uh, Tisha Campbell had said something, she was like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry about your mom. He was like, yeah, that was a while ago. Um, and so I was and, and that, too, made me think about when the father said, oh, I'm having a weight problem. Um, I wondered if that was something that came after the passing of his wife. Facts. It could have very much been the case. And so here's my issue is especially when talking about bereavement with people who may not empathize with losing, you know, a core family member is that there is no time limit to grief. Mm-mm. There is no, okay, by week seven, you should be okay. And you should be in this stage of grief. And there, that that's just not how it works. Like you can have lost someone 30 years ago and, and still feel that 
give on a given day. You know, you may have a day. It's just not a good day because you just really are mourning and missing this loved one. And also, I also want to say that grief doesn't necessarily have to just be with the loss of a loved one. It could be loss of um, a job. It could be loss of, you know, a friendship, you know, and grief can be felt on so many different and different levels. And being a high school student, I do still feel like he's still as a child developing. And so his level of grief may develop or increase or decrease given his developmental stage. So that's, I don't, I don't really see that as, as a reason for him not to have an, have an issue, but maybe acute disorder, stress disorder may not be the case because it has been so long. So I was just um, looking, well, while bereavement technically in the DSM is not considered a full diagnosis, it is something Mm -hmm. that still is under consideration. If you uh, go towards the back of it and look at things for further consideration, bereavement is in there. And so that is really what I will focus on and working with him, just um, helping him understand because he is young as well, those stages of grief, what that looks like for him when he's in those certain situations, how to handle, how to, when um, he's presented with those things that uh, confront him with people, like maybe saying something, uh, your mom, your mama joke gone bad um, mm-hmm. and his reaction to that. So looking at those different things uh, for him specifically, um, as well as looking at family dynamic, like how has his house changed since um, her passing and what, how is that different for him? And what is he struggling with, with coping with that? Because at the very end, when the credits are rolling, um, Pops did mention while he was giving him a whooping, while he was 17, still getting whoopings, I don't know, mm. that's another something. But mm-hmm. um, when Pops was whooping him, he was like, I wear the pants in this house and the apron. You, I'm getting tired of you. So <laughs> Pops is really just trying to adjust. And that's why I think Pops was a real cool dad. He was really trying, being really supportive of his son and making sure that he still, you know, had everything that he needed. So clearly the dynamics in that household have changed. And so looking at all of those for kid, because he is, it does seem like he is struggling with the loss. The loss of a parent is very um, impactful, especially uh, to children as they're coming up. Um, Actually throughout any age, anytime that you lose a parent, it is very impactful. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would definitely want to, address that with him, um, whether that's a full-blown diagnosis or not. Any other things that you would want to work with him on? Um, no, I think I just, those coping skills, how to cope with the loss of a loved one is, is most important because again, um, while it, it is understandable that it, it's hard to deal with the loss of a loved one, life continues to happen and you still have to interact and, and engage with people on a day-to-day basis and you can't just snap off and be like, oh yeah, my bad. Somebody just passed. It just got to me, right? So we do need to get to a level of where we can accept what has happened. And it's like, yes, this is an unfortunate event that has happened to you. However, um, we still have to live a productive life and us fighting, us fighting and starting fights is not going to be very productive for us in the long run. So what can we change? What, what is it that we need to do? Um, and so I would pull on those, on those, those um, hobbies, those things that he like as he, he enjoys, such as music and writing and rapping and using that to be his outlet um, to deal and write more, not just about kicking it with your homies and dancing at the party and cutting it up like confetti, but, <laughs> <laughs> but actually, <laughs> You know, a strength-based approach. Exactly. So that would be that would be the approach I would take with kid because he's not a bad kid. He just mm-hmm. he just needs a way to to get that grief and bereavement out in a more positive way. He really just needs to learn how that it's okay to express feelings. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and yeah. I think that that is what kind of led him to being such good friends with play, who mm. I feel. Has narcissistic personality disorder. Okay. Let's talk about it. So what, what is it that you're seeing about that? Okay, so for narcissistic personality disorder, if we flip to the page in our DSM, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the criteria is a pervasive pattern of grandiosity in fantasy or behavior, need for admiration and lack of empathy beginning by early adulthood and present 
in a very in a variety of contexts, as indicated by five or more of the following. And then it goes through the different um, criteria that someone will have to meet. But I feel like just from that alone, we can definitely see that Play, Play thought that he was it. He did. But I will say, I will <laughs> counter with this, now that I'm looking at Cluster B personality disorders and antisocial personality disorder, um, we're looking at, okay, failure to, well, let me not go there. Deceitfulness, as indicated by repeated lying, use of allies, and conning others for personal profit or pleasure. We saw that when he was um, talking to, uh, what's his name again? Um, Martin's character's name. Bilal. Yeah, that guy. Sound, sound like he something said, to catch on your feet. <laughs> right. Why he named them them African names knowing he from here? Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> <He's> from Cleveland. <laughs> right. Um, impulsivity uh, or failure to plan ahead. So that was also an issue that he had that they, they ran into as far as him not planning ahead and trying to set things up. He just was ready to go. Um, however... As far as ir- irritability and aggressiveness, we saw that. We did see that with them having this little altercation. Did they have, they had an altercation. Play didn't have an altercation. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> reckless disregard for safety of self or others. So to me, I feel like he, he kind of had a few um, indicators or a diagnostic. He meets a few of the diagnostic criteria to also be considered for antisocial personality disorder. And see, I felt like there wasn't that there was I didn't see as much of like the aggressiveness and, and um, things like that and lack of care for safety. Um, but I did see some of the things that you pointed out, but are also criteria for the narcissistic personality where it says um, where you're talking about how he was using Bilal to get him to DJ the party, but leaving him there for hours. Right. Um, with is personally, or no, I'm sorry, is interpersonally exploitive, takes advantage of others to achieve his own ends. Mm-hmm. And then they had uh, those things where uh, it's a, it says shows arrogance, haughty behaviors and attitudes, um, has a grandiose sense of importance, uh, believes he or she is special and unique and it can only be understood or associate with other uh, special or high status people with my party is going to be the place to be. And so if you if you it, then you need to be at my party and stuff like that and requires excessive admiration, has a sense of entitlement. But the reason why I also add antisocial personality disorder is because the individual is at least 18, uh, 18 years of age. So at this point, I think that also is a criteria to consider because of their age. We're assuming they're high school students. They're no, they're no older than what? We're assuming uh, 16, 17 at this point. So I think, I, think, I, I don't know. I'm still kind of leaning on antisocial personality disorder. Although he seems very outgoing. It's like, why would you label him anti-personality uh, disorder if he's the one that's uh, antisocial personality disorder if he's the one that's hosting this party. Mm-hmm. And well, technically with any personality disorder, you cannot really diagnose as anyone until they are of the age 18. So none of these would really be able to take effect <laughs> until he reaches <really laughs> age. And um, one thing that did hold me up even about the narcissistic personality disorder was the um, lacks empathy. And it's unwilling to exactly. or identify with feelings and needs of others because there mm-hmm. were certain times where he was able to check himself um, when he shut the door and that dual face, he was like, huh, okay, that was wrong. And when Kid called him and was like, I'm in jail, I need you to come right now. He was like, okay, well, wait, okay, I'll come it. So like he understood how serious of an issue that was and mm-hmm. he did jump right into action. And so I'm um, leaning towards that way, but there are some things that where I'm like, okay, well, maybe that... Um, that isn't what it, how it presents for him necessarily. Mm-hmm. But if we like were to fast forward in time, if we were to continue to grow with these characters and we do look at um, House Party 2, then I would definitely say, yeah, yes, because <laughs> he didn't have no empathy in that movie. Spit that boy buddy and everything. But that's a different movie. Mm-hmm. So just looking at what we have now, if, um, if we were meeting with them where they are now, that is where I would go. So how would you help him moving forward? What would be prognosis? Um, <laughs> prognosis would be terrible. <laughs> because, 
<laughs> at that age, as a teenage boy, you you want students to have a certain level of confidence. You want mm-hmm. them to feel good about themselves, have high self-esteem, and everything that they do um, is is going to kind of like, yeah, support that grandiose thought. Like their brains aren't fully developed, so they can only really think about how things affect themselves. Mm-hmm. Anything, everybody else is just people in their world. Um, and then if he is getting attention from girls where he's a handsome young man, he's going to get attention from girls. Mm-hmm. We see that in the movie. That's going to support his ideas. He has, he had a party and had a lot of kids come to his party and wanted to be there. That's going to support those ideas. Like it seems like everything that you would try to, it's going to kind of be supported. Um, so just try to really look at the the um the lack of empathy because that is something that can be extremely detrimental to not just him but the people around him and can lead to more negative behavior and so just looking at okay you handled this this way uh let's try to if you were in that position how would you want somebody to handle you so Mm. having those type conversations and supporting that um because again he's not 18 we couldn't diagnose him but that does not mean Ugh, I used a lot of knots there. Sorry. That mm-hmm. does not mean that um, he couldn't benefit from therapy and really have that support there for him to build those empathetic skills and working with others and being a better friend because he was low-key toxic. He stayed taking jabs at kid. Mm. <laughs> your high school friends, they're not really your friends. <laughs> but, I mean, but do, do don't you have a friend that like, that takes jabs at you. I I had to let somebody go because that's not the type of friend that I need in my life. But I I because I don't like those underhanded jabs. Like like I might let it go a few times, but then I might be like, you know what? I can't deal with you because I don't like that. Like because then it's just like you must not really like me, low key. Then if you can take jabs at me like that. So to answer your question, no, I don't have friends like that. Because I don't play that bad. Okay, it's funny. The first time you say it again, then we got a problem. Right. So, <laughs> and um, with Kid being in the state that he is in, uh, I'm unfortunately, it did take until he was into college to really establish boundaries with play. And that mm-hmm. is something that is very important. If you do have someone who is who does have narcissistic uh, personality, either disorder or tendencies, you do want to ensure that you set strong and clear boundaries with the things that you will mm-hmm. tolerate and what you will not tolerate. Because Absolutely. they do... Um, they do have that tendency to be interpersonally exploited. You don't want somebody that's taking advantage of you just because they know that they can. You want to be clear in what you will accept in that friendship and what you will not or else they're going to do what they want to do. Exactly. And so I'm going to say this wrong because I wasn't prepared to talk about this, but that's when you have those gaslighting, mm-hmm. um, that type of behavior where you're thinking, oh my God, this is me when all along it's just a part of this this system that they create and how they operate with people and making everyone else the problem. You're the problem. They're never the problem. So mm-hmm. that's very common as well. Um, very manipulative type of behaviors as well. Mm-hmm. And I, think, I felt like the same for... Um Shireen and Sydney. Now we didn't get as much in depth with them as you know supporting characters, but their friendship was kind of odd. Like I don't know, maybe it was just how I dealt with my friends. Mm -hmm. If it's two of us and it's two boys, I'm gonna look at you and say I want that one. You want this one? Okay, break. Okay, (laughs) gonna be this back and forth. But I want this one. No, you want this one. No, I want this one. No, this one want me. It's not that kind of competition. And so Mm -hmm. I was very sad that they had them kind of competing and vetting for the attention of the same two boys. And then, however it falls out, those are going to be the ones that we work with. But I didn't Mm -hmm. like that they made them compete. I wanted them to be good friends. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. That really sucks because I don't think I'm the same. I don't think I'm trying to like fight over a boy like or compete with you over. No, like, all right, girl, get his number. I'm going to go over here and and eat this popcorn or something. Eat this popcorn. No, there was no refreshments at the party. (laughs) Lachey established that when he told her. You know what? There was there was some Dick Gregory in the in the in the refrigerator, but nobody wanted (laughs) not even me. <laughs> I did appreciate um once they got to um 
kid and Sydney being at her house and they got the making out and kissing mm-hmm. and touching and rubbing. They established some some very healthy things there. They made sure that consent was overviewed. They mm. talked about birth control, condoms, uh, protection, all of that. And I was like, yes, look at y'all supporting healthy sexual behaviors for young people. Yes, that was good. Again, I think I think this was a wholesome movie. Other than I smell pussy and we're and we're gonna kick your fucking ass. <laughs> this could actually be a PG thirteen film. <laughs> I would I would watch this with my nieces and nephews for sure. This is why I want to revisit um, Stab because it takes that awkward turn. Um, there is the point where mm. Stab is like, "I'm getting ready to wax my girl ass." And all I can see is kid. And everybody's like, no, no, bruh. No, that's just you. And so that kind of raised the red flag for me. I said, okay, mm-hmm. that is something that we might need to discuss. Why is, and you are engaging in sexual activities with a female and you're envisioning a man. And then mm-hmm. when um, all of the jail inmates were considering anally raping kid in the holding cell, Stab mm. was the one, it appeared, not, I'm assuming, but it appeared that Stab was the one that told them because the dude walked up and said, uh, you got a reputation at your school that you're the sweetest meat around. Stab was standing right next to them. So Stab had to tell them that. So I'm like, I am concerned about Stab. Has he had some traumatic sexual experiences because something is unsettling about this. You are envisioning him when you're about to have sex. You are trying to get him uh, sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. <sighs> No. Okay. Do you need to talk? Right. You know, it's Pee Wee actually called him out on it in the car. Pee Wee was like, that he got some mental issues when I says <laughs> when it comes to me and my thick action, all I can think about is pussy. So Pee Wee already knew something was wrong with Steph. He's like, I don't know about you, bro. <laughs> I, I like that. that. I like that Pee Wee and Zilla was not afraid to call Stab out. Like, like bro, I can only think about women. <laughs> and when he was about to set the house on fire, they was like, "You tripping? I don't want to set these people on fire." What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> with him, look, Stab is a lost cause. I don't know if I could help him, and but- that's why I thought. And so you were saying for kid, I was really more so thinking Stab with the antisocial personality. Just uh, yes, yes, absolutely. Now, absolutely, yeah. I can see that for sure. And you know, unfortunately, um, that is not my specialty area. So I don't know if I have a. <laughs> If I have treatment and <laughs> and all of that for him, because that is just not, I you know, as a clinician, I do feel like sometimes when you get into private practice, you can you can kind of pick and choose. Mm-hmm. And I will say that because when you're in like the clinical setting, you don't know who you get, right. and then on top of that, not only are you dealing with mental health, but you're also dealing with um, substance use. And so it's like, which one comes first, the chicken or the egg? You know, like, is this like a substance induced mental health out, like, you know, crisis right now or like, you know, psychosis going on? Or is this something that was present before you got involved with drugs? Um, But that's not the case with uh, with STAB. It's just like, I'm not sure if I would be willing. I I would work with him in the clinical setting. Like, you got to stay here. (laughs) and figure your shit out (laughs) you can't go home (laughs) you're admitting him he is inpatient is what you're saying (laughs) that is so terrible but I think he's just so far beyond where I could even feel comfortable just doing individual like he I don't and I don't know if it's because I'm looking at it as a school counselor and not more so as a clinical practitioner Mm -hmm. um because I feel like so if you look at the in the second movie we Mm -hmm. see their grandmother so which me leads me to believe that they don't have their parents around neither their grandmother was the one that was raising them Mm. I think that coupled with the prison to uh, the school to prison pipeline, the constant instances of uh, police uh, brutality that they experienced mm-hmm. and the clearly possible sexual trauma that STAB has experienced. Mm. I feel like if we could intervene now, 
Fab really actually could be very successful in the future. But I feel like that intervention needs to come now and it needs to be with somebody that would be, that could build trust with him that he could open mm-hmm. up to. Because yeah. it does, it seems like there is a lot more there. And I'm like, oh, poor Stab. Poor Stab. First of all, your nickname is Stab. You don't get the nickname Stab without stabbing somebody. <laughs> Facts. Like who did you stab? It was probably oh, the motherfucker who in counseling. It was probably the motherfucker who tried to touch his butt. Okay, <laughs> and that's how he got the word, the name stab. Well, then whoever did that deserved to get stabbed. Okay, that's touch nobody without their permission. Exactly. So that's my theory. Stick it to it. He stabs. He stabbed the motherfucker who tried to touch his little booty. Mm. <laughs> done and done. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, either way, a traumatic experience in which I feel like someone should have intervened. Where was their school counselor that intervened? Because right. their parents weren't around and their grandmother may have well, needed support. Two, if he, he did have some sexual experiences, he probably was uh, exhibiting some type of behavior in school in which someone mm-hmm. needed to intervene. He did not need a punishment, he needed an intervention. Exactly. And it just, it just, they let it go to the point where it can get out of hand. But I feel like if they intervene before he graduates or drops out, because I'm concerned about him dropping out, mm. then he can still be successful. It's just well, here, here's my thing. We, we keep asking about where the school counselor is. Um, there are some counties um, in Minnesota that do not have, a, they have one school counselor for elementary, middle school, and high school. It's a travesty. It is. And they don't even have a social worker or another mental health professional to at least help them counterbalance and say, okay, on this day, Monday and Tuesdays, I'm going to go to the elementary school. I'm going to do whatever groups on Tuesdays with the elementary and middle school, at least help them out. But there are, there are some school counselors who are struggling because you know, of their caseload of having 600 plus students or having you know, to move from school to school throughout the week or a given day. And so it's like, still, we, we do expect a lot of our, from, from our school counselors, but I do feel like there are still many states and schools that are not, that are inappropriately using school counselors or they're not providing them enough support. I agree. And I feel like, um, as much as we continue to advocate for the profession and the American School Counselor Association does have recommended ratios for mm-hmm. counselor to students, there mm-hmm. are districts that are not um, even taking those into consideration, let alone trying to strive to meet those ratios. Um, so I feel like if you are in that position, it is up to you to be more creative and even then and how do you utilize your time, not just spending it, putting out the fires. Um, because mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot of crisis response. That's really all that you would have time to do. And that could eat up all of your time. But mm-hmm. if you are in that situation, making sure that you are holding in services for administration teachers so that they can be possibly just a tad bit more trauma-informed, know how to respond to people, um, presenting to your district, to all district-level principals, so that principals would know how to respond and not give, um, and have restorative justice as opposed to just punitive punishments that contribute to the school-to-prison pipeline. Um, You want to make sure that you are being as effective in that role as possible, um, and not just using that as a way to say, like, I can't get anything done because, no, you can't. If, if, you're, if your district does not respect your, your profession and what it is that you do and the services that you offer to students, then you have to be very creative because they're not going to change their mind. And so just continuing to work in that circle, you're going to burn yourself out and, and then not be effective for any of your students. And so you might have to be more creative in how you tackle that because unfortunately America does not care about its kids and you can tell how they educate them. Mm, exactly. Exactly. I, I have a question for our listeners. I mean, this is not necessarily related to the, to the actual podcast itself. Maybe it kind of is, but the question is, what was your experience with your school counselor? Um, were there things that you felt your school counselor could have done differently in situations where you saw your friends being bullied or even just kind of preparing you for your next career step, whether it was being going um, the career route or 
actually going to college. So tell us your experience with your school counselor in relation to maybe kid and play and, and how these kids could have gotten, you know, better assistance from their school counselor or your school counselor in general. They must have been in one of them schools where she had yes, <laughs> 600 students. <laughs> right. She wasn't even there that day. She came back and was like, y'all got arrested together, all of y'all? Really? I guess y'all friends now because y'all got, y'all got something in common. Right. And how, <laughs> did, how did they arrest them without them committing a crime and without calling their parents? How did that Because right. there right. was a crime. When, by the time they got there, they were standing outside the refrigerator. Where's the crime? Exactly. See? Abuse of power. See, this is why we don't trust the police in our neighborhood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. But with all of that being said, they still, at the end, came together as friends, despite their toxicity. <laughs> mm-hmm. They got kid out of, um, out of jail, out of custody police custody. Unfortunately, Stabzilla and Pee Wee were still there to deal with whatever trauma is inflicted upon them inside the, the jail system because nothing really good ever happens in jail. Right. And so that continues to be their reality, but Kid does get to go home. And now he has a whole girlfriend. Funny how, mm-hmm. the, isn't that crazy how in high school, like so much stuff could happen in one day. You start the day just going to school and end up with a whole girlfriend, a police record, and okay. <laughs> a battle rap under your <laughs> under your belt. Listen, all the things in one. So, moral of the uh, of the episode is your high school friends are not your real friends. Um, fuck the police, and it's okay to stab someone if they try to touch a booty. Exactly. <laughs> That is exactly what I wanted to have the perfect, like that is the overall goal and purpose of this podcast today. Brought to you by the letter S for stab. (laughs) (laughs) With a lot of different places I didn't expect it to go today. I expected (laughs) per usual about uh, 90s dance moves and Oh, wow. We didn't even get there. We missed a whole bunch. Like, we, who did you feel won the battle rap? See, it's just, we could go on and on. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it is about that time for us to wrap it up. So um, please make sure that you subscribe to um, our podcast on all platforms that we are available. And please leave reviews and comments. Let us know how you feel about us, whether you think that we are, you know, just I or we're great. Let us know because we're counselors and we actually care about what you have to say. All right. Peace.